You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, Mark chapter 1, we're starting a new sermon series. It's on the screen, and it's going to be an exciting journey through the book of Mark. Growing in the likeness of Christ, a fresh look at our example, Jesus, from the book of Mark. Now, this journey is going to be an incredible one. I went to the Holy Land uh, at the first, uh, see, was it the first of this year? That's crazy. At the first of this year, 2020, uh, at the end in the first of this year. And I can assure you that my time there was so valuable and powerful that I knew at some point I would have to choose a gospel and preach through it. Because when you experience the Holy Land and where Jesus walked, you never read your Bible the same again. It's just the way it is. And so I'm beginning that journey today through the book of Mark, and I'm so excited about it. Growing in the likeness of Christ, becoming more like Jesus, easier said than done. But the scriptures give us an incredible portrait. In fact, I can assure you the Bible provides a 100% accurate portrait of who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And you and I can follow the example of Christ as we look at this particular gospel. Now, before we start, I'd like for you to get to know the book of Mark just a little bit. So let's talk about four things quickly here uh, about the book that we are studying together. Number one, the author. The author is Mark. Now, verse number one, like in many books in the Bible, usually will often tell you who wrote the book. But Mark, it doesn't. It doesn't mention who Mark was. Some say that it was because he was the only apostle not to write a New Testament book. And uh, as a result of that, he may have been just a little bit uh, inferior feeling. And so that may be it, may not be it. But nevertheless, uh, he was obviously someone who wasn't concerned about recognition. He was the nephew of Barnabas. Now that's significant. He was related to Barnabas, the great encourager in the Bible, right? Well, in in Acts chapter 15, we we find an unusual uh, passage and portion of Scripture where you've got the apostle Paul and Barnabas and Mark on a missionary journey together. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not adding to the Scripture, but I'm imagining it may have happened like this. One day, as they gather to pray before they head out to do missionary work, Mark didn't show up. Paul looks at Barney and says, hey, Barney, what's up with uh, Mark? We need to go. Well, Mark's not coming. He went back home. He did what? He quit on us, huh? All right, I remember that. And sure enough, he did remember that. Because when they went on the second missionary journey, Paul goes to Barnabas and said, hey, you ready to go? And Barnabas said, yeah, I'm ready to go. I'll go get Mark. And Paul says, no, you won't. And Barnabas says, yes, I will. And Mark says, no, you won't. And Barnabas says, why? And Mark says, because he's a dadgum quitter. He's a loser. He ain't going nowhere with us. I ain't taking that jerk with us. He's he's, He's a quitter. And Barnabas said, well, I ain't going with you if he's not going with you. And Mark said, well, then you're not going with you. And they had a big argument. It was bad. It was kind of a fight. So uh, Paul went with who? Silas. And Barnabas went with Mark. And there was a division there. But the good news is we find out later in Scripture, a couple of different places, most notably in 1 or 2 Peter, where Paul was in prison and he made this statement. Hey, uh, go get Mark. Bring him to me. He's profitable for the ministry. So there's restoration there. Now, the beautiful part of this particular story in getting to know Mark is that Mark, the missionary quitter, wrote a gospel of Jesus Christ. 
How encouraging should that be to me and you, those of us who at times in our lives have fallen short and failed and maybe even quit, but God says to all of us, hey, listen, I am ready for you to get back and get with it. You are profitable to me. me. Amen. There's a great message here in this story about Mark and then the date. Well, the date was about A.D. 63 from Rome is when it was written, one of the first New Testament books, actually. The theme of the book is not Jesus as king, like it is in Matthew. The theme of the book is not Jesus as God, as it would be in the book of John. It's not the humanity of Christ, as it would be in the book of Luke. But the theme of this book is Jesus as a servant. As a servant. I think that applies more to humanity and to us as church members than any other title that Jesus had. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, and it's on the screen, it says, For the, even the Son of Man came not to, ser- to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, the style of the gospel of Mark is unique as well. Why? It's short and to the point. Bottom line. It's the shortest gospel. It's brief and it is blunt. Guys like that, right? I mean, we kind of like it. Just give, give it to me straight. I mean, you know, when our wives talk to us, don't you just like orders that are like a sentence instead of like three days? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, so, so Mark kind of gets to the point. He gets to it. He says, look, I really haven't got time to explain things. Here's what Jesus says. He gets right to the point. It is a uh, gospel designed for the masses. It may be best for a church to look at the gospel of Mark as a way to really, you know, realign itself with the mission of God. So it's a great gospel for our day. It's fast and it's, to, it's short and it's to the point. The word immediately is mentioned in the gospel of Mark 41 times. You can't help but to notice the overemphasis of the word immediately, signifying that Jesus didn't wander through life saying, well, what should I do next? I wonder what today holds. I I guess we'll just kind of figure it out. No, no, no. Jesus was a man of action. Hey, he, he had a plan. He had a clear sense of what his father wanted him to do. And you get a sense that throughout the entire book of Mark. Mark 1 begins with just how great Jesus is. In fact, we're told that John the Baptist was the greatest born of women, right? But who was greater than that? Jesus. And John the Baptist wants you to know that as we begin reading in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger, John the Baptist, before you, your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying, crying in the wilderness. You know, let's not be mistaken that he wasn't boohooing in the wilderness. He wasn't weeping tears in the wilderness. This word crying here speaks of John's passion. It speaks uh, of the fact that God had gripped his heart. The message of John the Baptist was one of passion and enthusiasm. He was intense. And when you, like John the Baptist, are gripped by the truth of God in your heart, and, and you begin to see your desperate need to help people and to reach out to people, how can you not be passionate about what you communicate? Can I tell you today, the fact that I am a passionate preacher just means that I am gripped in my heart by what I have to share with you. 
And sometimes one of the most difficult things for a pastor to do is to be gripped in his heart as he preaches and to want people to get connected to what he's saying and to what the truth of God is saying. That was John the Baptist. I don't think there'd be any mother here if their kid was running out into the street that would say, Billy, hey, Billy, you know, there's a car coming pretty fast and it could crush you. I would think that every mother would be screaming and yelling and running into the street and grabbing their arms and bringing them back to safety. Why? Because you'd be gripped in your heart. And so today I'm gripped in my heart about this truth. John the Baptist says in verse 3, he's the voice of one crying on the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. I love the message of John as he says, he appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. His message was, ready church? Good morning. I'm glad you're here. Hope you like the new auditorium, the new lights, the stage. It's pretty, isn't it? Thank you. Repent! That was John. I'm kind of amazed today, and and I want to say this very cautiously and carefully and lovingly because I think everyone here will take it right because you know my heart. But I think we've gotten so used to making fun now today of hellfire and brimstone preachers that we're almost afraid to even acknowledge that anymore. It's almost like that's old-time religion. No, that's is relevant today. The message of John the Baptist was, Not to tickle your ears, not to make you feel all the warm fuzzies. It was to say, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're in need of a Savior. And it is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can enter into heaven. And let's repent, let's seek forgiveness of our sins, let's quit pointing the finger at everyone else. That was his message. You see, Bible teaching is about hearing from God. And how far have we come from that? How tragic when Bible teaching becomes more a form of entertainment. You know, you may have enjoyed a lot of wonderful technology, but I can assure you, we are not here today to entertain. We're here to come before the presence of God humbly and be gripped in our hearts by the message of the Word of God this morning. Notice what's happening here in Mark chapter 1, verse number 5. I love this. And all the country of Judea, And all Jerusalem were going out to him. And they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan. Have a couple of pictures of that. One of the greatest things about going to Israel is getting baptized in the river Jordan. So my best best pastor friend, Robert Bax, baptized me in that river. It's just so cool. While I'm reading this passage, I'm thinking, I did that. Oh yeah, I was baptized in that same river. And they say this was about the spot. I'll give you a clear picture of it here. It's kind of the spot where Jesus was baptized. And a lot of, 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 of the way they come to this conclusion is it's either, you know, it was either near the, it's either there, near there, or somewhere in the vicinity of there. So it's really cool to be right where John the Baptist baptized Jesus. It says here that when they were coming out, they were being baptized. Notice confessing their sins. Man, I really think there needs to be an emphasis today in the church of confession of sins. I think sometimes we are so quick to blame something else. By the way, church, let's quit blaming politics. Let's look to the church where judgment begins. And may we confess our sins that our nation might be healed, that, our, that, that, that Christ can be preached from a heart that is pure and clean and right with him. 
They were confessing their sins. Notice in verse 6 it says, Now John was clothed with camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. And look at this. He ate locust and wild honey. Dude sounds like kind of a weirdo. But I think what the message here is more this. He was just lowly. Speaks of his lowliness. I guarantee you if I had John the Baptist here to preach this morning, it wouldn't be, God bless you, brethren. God bless you, brothers and sisters. That's so good to have you here. Hope you enjoy your padded pews. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the message. I don't think that's the message is not necessarily to be eloquent. How many words can I say this morning that you don't understand? He wasn't eloquent. He wasn't beautiful. But I'm convinced he knew how to get a hold of God. And that's what's important. And then I want you to see here his humility in verse 7. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie. We see here his humility. And by the way, church, remember this. Biblical Christianity is not making less of yourself. It's just making more of Jesus. And we need to understand that when it comes to humility, not putting yourself down, but lifting Jesus up. We're thankful today that, that everything that's being presented is, is being done with excellence. And we want to do it with excellence. But everything we do is not so that you can say, wow, that was good. You're good. That worship set was, was on. No, no, no. It's, we want you to look to Jesus. He is the giver of all. He's worthy of our praise. He's why we're here. We present to him an excellent spirit this morning. Amen. Humility. And then I want to give you these seven things before I close. I know it seems like a long message. It's not really a long message. In fact, I'm in good shape. I wasn't this morning. I was rushed. I think I've got enough time this morning to finish because I really believe these seven things that deal with the authority of Jesus Christ as our servant. Now, we need this. We need this because we live in a day of great paranoia. Christians seem to be afraid. We seem to be quiet. We seem to be walking about as if we are defeated, as if we're behind the eight ball, as if we're kind of the ones that don't have. But, but I, want you, I want to empower you today, not with arrogance, not with this bless God attitude, not at all. John the Baptist was humble. John the Baptist was, was very lowly, but yet John the Baptist knew whom he served. And there was an authority that comes with that. And it's the same authority that Christ had. It's just not in yourself. It's, it's in Christ. And Christ was in God. And so look with me, number one, at verse number eight, where it says, I baptized you with water. You ready for this? But he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We sang about the Holy Spirit this morning. That's such an important message this morning. John is saying this, I can immerse you in the symbol. But Jesus Christ can give you the very Holy Spirit of God. You see, sometimes I think we get so wrapped up in the symbol of baptism, the water part of it, which is great, it's neat. But what we need to remember is what do we actually say when we put somebody under? Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And so what Jordan was sharing with us today before we sang one of the worship songs was to remember, church, that we are raised in the likeness of Christ because of his resurrection power. And it is the Holy Spirit of God that indwells us, that moves us, that guides us, that leads us. That same Holy Spirit that Jesus had, you have. 
How cool is that? How amazing is that? Number two, I want you to notice the authority that was rooted in identity. And for us, our identity in Christ. Now, don't miss this. This is very important. Look at verse 9. It says here in the passage, in the text, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, yesterday, uh, I, every night, I have a tradition. I do puzzles with Glorianne, right? It's kind of our final, my family knows about this. It's the final thing Glorianne does before she goes to take her bath, okay? So I'm doing these puzzles. I just got her a new one with a princess. I don't know. It's pretty cool. And I was doing this puzzle with her. And uh, so sometimes I turn the TV on just to kind of, you know, I get tired of doing the same puzzle over and over again. <laughs> she doesn't. I do. And so I've got the puzzle down there. I'm doing the puzzle with my special needs daughter. And I am turn the TV on, and it's the Avengers. Oh, dude, that's good. So I'm watching the Avengers, you know. I'm checking out Captain America and, and all these guys, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, I think I saw John Clowers on there. It was cool. And, uh, but anyway, <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm watching this. And one of the things I noticed about it that reminded me of my message this morning in this very passage was that oftentimes there's a scene where it's just like, oh, wow. Like Captain America comes with a shield and it's like this moment. Like, don't worry. It's all good now, you know. Or the dude that died in the last one. What's that? Iron Man. Oh, yeah. Iron Man. I know you're thinking, man, this pastor's lost his mind. Look, I'm normal, okay? Same stuff you're made of, okay? I'm loving this. I'm thinking, man, so these guys come on the scene. Notice it says here, and when he came. Jesus comes on the scene in verse number 9. From Nazareth of Galilee. I can see Jesus coming on the scene. He just got baptized by John the Baptist. His ministry is beginning. And Jesus comes over that hillside in Galilee and says, Get ready. I'm about to save the world. Three years, I'm going to do some amazing things. And then I'm going to die so the world can be saved. Man, he's the real superhero, amen? He's the one that has arrived. And here we are in Mark chapter 1. Jesus is coming on the scene. He's coming uh, 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 into Galilee. And he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And the world is never going to be the same beginning right now. And when he came up out of the water, immediately it says he saw the heavens being torn open by the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son. And with you, I am well pleased. You know, when you watch the life of Christ, what you see is a confidence. A confidence that is rooted in his identity. Everywhere he went, just the way that Christ moved. Even, to be honest, and I don't mean to uh, bring movies into this, but sometimes even when you watch a particular life of Christ that's depicted, you often see him as someone who was moving with authority, with, without any fear. He knew where his identity was linked to. He was rooted into that, and there is no coincidence in this. How many times do we hear Jesus say, I do what my father says. I and my father are one. I came to do my father's business. Whatever my father said to me, that's what I've said to you over and over again. Why? Jesus knew who he was. His authority was rooted in his identity. 
And what God the Father did for his son in saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, is not a small thing. Man, I thank God that in the midst of so many troubling and difficult circumstances, I'm not wondering who I am. The world's falling apart. I get it. How you doing, Eric? Fantastic. I know who I am. My identity is not in a particular governmental party. My, my, my identity is not linked to Fox News or CNN. Can I get an amen? My identity is not linked into some sort of world event. I am identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. And I know who I am. My parents made sure I knew that too. Even though they were divorced. And I come from a, 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 a family that split apart when I was a baby. I'm thankful today that mom and dad both told me I was valuable. I was important, and I was going to do something great with my life. But I know not everyone has experienced that. I know there are some sitting here that could say, yeah, lucky for you. But I want you to know I've got great news for you. Even better than having good earthly parents is having a heavenly father. And that heavenly father says to you, and here's the great news of the gospel, God is our father, and God wants you to know that you are my beloved daughter, you are my beloved son, and I'm pleased with you. In fact, I designed something for us to say together. I'm going to say it first, just to practice and just so I can experience it. Eric, you're my beloved son. I'm well pleased with you, and all of your sins are covered by the blood of my son. And nothing can separate you from the Father's love and acceptance of you. My identity is rooted right there. Let's do it together, shall we? Put your name there. If you're a son, say it as a son. If you're a lady, say it as a daughter. Let's do it together, shall we? One, two, three. Eric, you are my beloved son, and I am well pleased with you. And all of your sins are covered by the blood of my son. And nothing can separate you from the Father's love and acceptance of you. Church, I bring you this news that that is our identity. And the authority that Christ had was rooted in that. It matters not what others think of us. What matters is what God thinks of us. And God loves you. And God accepts you. And nothing can separate you from that. When I was a little kid growing up. We sang this song. I remember, Carol Ann, you and I used to sing this together while we were dating on the bus. And I forgot the words. I had to download them this morning. Um, I can't, the tune. um, The Lord is mine and I am his. His banner over me is love. Is that it? The Lord is mine and I am his. His banner over me is love. The Lord is mine and I am his. His banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. He brought me to the banqueting table. His ba- okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> one verse, one verse. Okay. It's an oldie. You say, well, that's an oldie but goodie. It is. It came to me this morning as I was putting the final touches on the message in my office, praying over the message. God said, remember that song you used to sing with your wife on the bus? And I said, yeah. That, that, that's you. That, that's, that you. You are rooted in that identity. My banner over you is my love for you. That will never change. Now, this does not mean that things will be easy. I'm afraid sometimes we hear the touchy-feely, warm, fuzzy messages from so-called pastors, and we walk out of the building, Craig, and we think, 
oh, this is going to be a breeze. Well, the pastor told me everything's wonderful and I'm a child of God. I'll never have a problem. I, I, did, I didn't say that. Don't, 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 don't get that interpretation. Here's why. It doesn't mean it's always going to be easy because God's love is not a pampering love. I learned this from Adrian Rogers. God's love is not a pampering love. God's love is a perfecting love. I want you to notice the next thing it says here in verse number 12. That as soon as he was baptized and he came up out of the water, he heard those words from God. Here's the first thing that happened. Where did the Spirit lead him? Place number one. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness to be tempted. So number three, the authority over temptation. The authority over temptation. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Look at verse number 12. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. On our journey to Israel, we actually went to that place. And here it is. It's a barren place. This is the first place that Jesus went as he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Preparing to change the world. These pictures are outstanding. They're just so real. In fact, we took a picture of our group with the Mount of Temptation in the background. It was an awesome picture, great moment. That's our entire group in Israel this, earlier this year. Now, we don't have much detail from Mark here. It's interesting. Look, did you notice? Here it is. Here's Mark. I love Mark. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. That's it. Let's move on. Mark doesn't get, if you want any more information, go to Matthew, Luke, or John. He didn't say that, but he could have. If you want more stuff, just go to Matthew, Luke, or John. All I'm giving you is this. But here's what I know. I don't need much more information because I know this. He won. Hebrews 4.15 tells me this. I love it. It says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect been tempted like us, yet without sin. As the devil tempted him every single time, he came back with what? The word of God. That's why we're so desperate, in such a desperate need to know God's word, to be here this morning. Because he used his humanity, not his deity. He used his humanity to get victory over sin so that you could know, so that I could know, that we could have victory over temptation as well. And when we don't have victory, we have forgiveness, amen? Because sometimes we do fall and sometimes we do trip and stumble. But scripture does tell us that there is, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation that has overtaken us that is not common to man, but that God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted above your ability, but will with the temptation provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Wow, this is just such good stuff. Because what this teaches us is that we can have victory. We can have authority over temptation in Jesus Christ. We can defeat temptation as Jesus did with the Word of God. That's what this teaches us. Isn't that exciting? I mean, I, honestly, that's, I am only standing here today 28 years into the ministry, 32 years almost, of my marriage. I'm only standing here today by the grace of God and the strength that He's provided for me to overcome temptation in His Word. That's it. It's, let me tell you something, it's impossible without him. But because he did it, I know that I can't have the victory. And then number four, I want you to notice in our text he had authority over individuals. 
Authority over individuals. This is amazing. Verse 13, look at it with me. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, wild animals, angels ministering. And after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, that's significant in this sense that sometimes I think we overlook the fact that, you know, well, let me put it to you like this. He came into Galilee would be the same thing. One way that you and I can understand this, the kind of city he came into was this. Uh, and Jesus came into North Dakota. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> Maybe one or two, right? I mean, where's North Dakota? I think it's like up north, right? Yeah. He came into Nebraska. No offense, Nebraskans. I love you. But you're just, you know, not my favorite vacation spot, okay? It didn't say he came into Los Angeles. It didn't say he came into New Orleans or Miami. No, he came to this little sea, this place called Galilee. And the Bible says, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Notice his message was no different than John the Baptist, or should I say John the Baptist's message was Jesus' message. Repent and believe in the gospel. The only way to know Christ is to repent and believe. That's it. There is no other way to know Christ. It's not of works. It's not by works of righteousness which you have done. It is only when you repent and believe on Jesus Christ that you can truly know him and be saved and experience the gift of salvation. He was passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, quick pictures of the Sea of Galilee. As my wife and I would walk onto the balcony of our little hotel, we would see this. This is the place that Jesus did so many miracles. This is the place he called so many of his disciples into the ministry, the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And notice this, Jesus says to them, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. Who's this dude? Follow you? I got a business. I got stuff going on in my life. I mean, I ain't following you. Crazy. Or could it be this? And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. They were in a boat mending the nets. Pretty big company here. This was more of a, I can see this is having lots of workers, a big company. Immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. So this was a big deal. Lots of laborers, lots of servants, a big company. And they left all that and they followed him. Jesus says, you come follow me. And they immediately follow him. I remember when I was 15 years old, sitting in a church service on a Wednesday night pastor preaches a message and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus said to me I want you to follow me and preach the gospel I remember it I knew I I just knew I walked down the aisle told my preacher he asked me if I wanted to wait for my mother to come to the service I said honestly I don't I don't need to wait I know this is what God wants me to do I don't want to go back on this decision by the way I have since then well pastor you've been pastoring this church for many years oh I know but you don't know all the times I've wanted to quit so disappointed come on aren't you glad i'm honest anybody else ever felt like walking away from your marriage from your church from your job from life come on haven't we all been there oh yeah i wanted to quit turn in my resignation letter you say why tell me about it no it's okay it's (laughs) it's not today for sure i'm kind of feeling much better today But I've had those moments, and I'm so thankful that in those moments, God called me again. 
you follow me. Ah, but I don't want to. Hey, come on, let's go. Get up out of bed, get to the church. We got to do this thing. It's not over yet. And you see through the gospels that Jesus called the disciples more than once. They wandered too, just like you and I wander. But thank God he continues to call. He has authority over individuals. Even when we're having a good time or a bad time, a good day, a bad day, a good season of ministry or a bad season of ministry. Number five, I want you to see this. The authority to speak the truth. I love this. This is, this is powerful. So when they went into Capernaum, can I take a moment and tell you about Capernaum? Uh, this was the headquarters of Jesus. He did more in Capernaum than he did any other place. This is where the nobleman's son was healed. This is where Peter, Peter's mother-in-law was healed. This is where the centurion's son was healed. This is where Matthew, the tax collector, was called in to be a disciple. Capernaum. Here's a couple of pictures. It's, it's an unusual place. It's probably, Scott, was this one of your favorite places? Capernaum? It was me. I just thought it was cool because the ruins were really clear. You could tell that this was, it made sense when you were there. You just felt like, okay, Jesus spent a lot of time here. One of the greatest pictures I think I have of this was this one. It's where we're all sitting and worshiping Jesus in Capernaum in one of the synagogues that they say 100% Jesus taught many times here. It wasn't debatable. It wasn't questionable. It was just an obvious place that he would have been there many times with his disciples. Capernaum. And immediately, there's that word again, on the Sabbath, verse number 21, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Statement here. The primary evidence of a person speaking for God is authority. It's the primary evidence. When he speaks, Jesus here spoke as one who had authority. Why? Because the Bible is all about this. You ready? The Bible is all about, hey, this is the plan. Now get with it. It's not like, okay, Jesus, if he were speaking here this morning, wouldn't say, hey, you guys, I got a thought. I'm not saying we have to do it. I'm just saying it's, 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 it's one idea of many. I was thinking maybe, if you guys agree, only if you agree, that what we could do is like go into the uttermost parts of the world and preach the gospel. But, but hey, it's just a thought. Anybody else got any ideas? No, no. Jesus had a plan. And he spoke. He spoke with authority. Can I tell you why I preach with authority? Because I'm preaching the plan of Jesus. This is God's word. I didn't bring up here some book by a theologian, which some of them are good. But they're not God's word. We need less books in our lives and more Bible in our lives. We need to read the Word of God, study the Word of God, and really decide, look, this is not just about, you know, the warm, fuzzy ideas in Outreach Magazine. And I'm all for Outreach Magazine, and I appreciate Outreach Magazine. But when I get that, I usually don't get a chance to read it because it's, it's just so much stuff, and it's everybody's ideas, and this is the new age, and the new church, and the new that. It's all good, and I like it, and probably 99% of it's working. But at the end of the day, I know what the plan is. I just need to execute. I need, I, need to, I need to get with it. I need to speak the truth. And the truth is in God's word. And then number six, I want you to see his authority over Satan's and demons. Look at verse 23 in our text. Immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cries out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread abroad everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Jesus had authority over the demonic world. Now let me tell you where we are this morning. We are in what's called the Western world. The Western world is intellectual. The Western world is scientific. The Western world is anti-supernatural. I mean, has anybody heard Anthony Fauci and the COVID-19 task team? Has anybody heard? Hey, guys, listen, we're going to talk about a lot of things. But first of all, we want everybody to know the most powerful tool against COVID-19 is prayer. Anybody heard that yet? You're not going to hear it. You're going to hear a lot of intellectualism. You're going to hear a lot of scientists. And you're going to hear mostly anti-supernatural stuff. That's our universities. That's our high schools. That's our graduate schools. That's the media. That's television. And that's the books you read. Intellectual, scientific, anti-supernatural. God is no more than the big man upstairs. He's a cosmic killjoy who lives on Pluto. That's what you're going to hear. We're just a bunch of crazy Christians who believe in this far-out, invisible deity. But I want you to know that God is involved in the very affairs of mankind. And between us and God, there is a spiritual realm, and we are in a battle. And that battle is not against flesh and blood. That battle is not against one another. That battle is not against the different races and colors of skin. That battle is not against all this fighting and bickering and anger going on in all kinds of places. Let's be reminded, church, there's a lot of issues going on. There's a lot. That battle is not Democrat or Republican. It's not. That battle is not against that. It is this in Ephesians 6.12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Please don't forget this. But against rulers, against authorities against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces in heavenly places. What we want to do is be able to, we want to be able to understand it. Well, no, 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 it's, it's, it's the police, or, or it's this creed, or it's this race, or it's this person, or it's that, de- no, no, you're missing it. Go back to the, I'm, all those things are real. We need reform. We need everything. I'm not against a lot that's happening today. I get it. You're not looking at a preacher that's not Adept to the day we live in. I get it. But I'm afraid that we are building up so much fear and animosity towards people. And Satan is laughing at us. And he said, man, you're fighting one another on every kind of social media platform you can. When at the end of the day, you're fighting against the demons and the devils of this world. And they're not people. Everybody needs Jesus. Amen. That's who they need. That's what changes the world. So let's fight for our causes. Let's be a voice for those who are voiceless. Let's, let's do all those things, and I'm for it. But let's not forget the enemy is Satan and his demons. Satan is leading the attack against the supernatural work of God. And Jesus, we have authority over the demonic world. You know, this week, I was three days ago, actually, I was just reading a devotion I want to read it to you. As we look at our world today, many Christians are wringing their hands and wondering, what in the world is happening? 
We see war, crime, violence, murder, sexual immorality, and we think, is this really God's world? Well, the answer is yes. But we also live in a world under conflict. You see, Satan has been given dominion over much of the world. He rules over the powers and authorities of this dark world. And because of that, he creates chaos and discord in the world as much as he can. This is the reason why there's so much sickness and sin pervading our world today. But the great news is this, that Jesus is in control. Though Satan's power is real, it's temporary. And one day, Jesus will rip open the sky and return. And what he does, he's going to defeat sin and death and Satan once and for all. Do you want to know what the world is coming to? It's coming to Jesus, and he's on his way back to rescue those who trust in him. That's exciting to me. And that's why I'm preaching this morning with authority. It's because I know this. I know my God is in control. And I'm not afraid of what man can do unto me. I'm not afraid of what Fox News, CNN, or all these media outlets say. I'm trusting in Jesus. And I'm asking you to do that with me. Number seven, and lastly, his authority over sickness. Jesus has healing power over sickness and injuries. This last week I was pitching softball, baseball. Stupid. And especially the week before your opening service. I give my little high pitch, and the dude cracks it, line ball. Thankfully, it hit me right here in the calf. A lot of the guys were there. They saw it. I just went down like a, I mean, like a brick. Boom. I knew I was hurt. I was bad shape. Couldn't walk Monday, couldn't walk Tuesday. Went to the doctor Tuesday, checked for blood clots, ultrasound. Ever had an ultrasound in your leg? Weird thing. Especially when the nurse says, drop your pants. <laughs> I, I thought she was joking. I'm like, like, with you in here? She goes, well, if you want, I'll leave. I said, I think I'd like you to leave. <laughs> she leaves. I drop my pants. <laughs> put a, put a, a sheet over them. Sorry, I need to tell you this story. It, it all worked out. It did the right thing. <laughs> I, I did the right thing. She did say that, though. So she, they take this ultrasound, and it's scary because it lasts 20 minutes. And I'm looking at her face the whole time, and sometimes she's going. I'm thinking, you know, I don't even know what a blood clot is. I've never had one, but I heard that, well, Jerome, it almost killed you, right? Same thing, same injury type thing, you know, in your calf, right? So long story short, then they finish the ultrasound. Then they say, we'll call you tomorrow. That's a blessing. It's like, wait, 24 hours. You might die, but it's okay. You know? So I put on the prayer line. Hey, I believe in the power of prayer. Do you know how many people I had tell me they prayed for that leg injury? Dozens. I mean, dozens of you. People texting me after listening to the prayer line. Praying for you, preacher. Praying for you, preacher. Hope you're okay. I'm praying for you. Praying for you. Hope you, you know. And I just believe in the power of prayer. The next day I get out of bed, I'm walking like I wasn't even injured. And I'm making this up. Scott saw me, hey, you okay, preacher? I'm like, yeah, I'm doing great. I'm, I feel, it's weird. I just feel great. The doctor calls and says, you got nothing to worry about. No blood clots, you're good to go. Now you say, that's a silly illustration, preacher. There's people in here a whole lot more sick than that. I get it. That's just the best I could come up with for me as a personal illustration. But I will tell you this, my prayer for this church is that you and I would grow in our awareness of the healing power of Jesus Christ and his authority over sickness according to his own will. God's in control. 
In fact, if you read, and I'm not going to do it this morning, but 29 through 45, here's your Bible study assignment for the week, to read Mark 1, 29 through 45, and just praise God that he heals. You'll see it over and over again. In closing, I just want to take a moment, and I want to just ask you to respond in three ways. Number one, I'm going to ask you to respond by submitting to the authority of Christ. Submit. If you don't mind, I'm just going to pray right now for a moment my own response. Jesus, I submit to your authority today. Here's what I mean by that, Jesus. I want your will and not mine. I want to do what you want me to do. Even if it's hard, it's good. It's all good, God. Because I know that there's nothing that you want from me that will hurt me. You love me, and you care for me, and, and, and I submit to your will for my life. If it's to preach, I'll preach. If it's to clean buildings, I'll clean buildings. If it's to teach, I'll teach. If it's to, I'll just do whatever, God. I just want you to know you're in control of my life. And I submit to your authority. Secondly, God, I, I want to serve under your authority. God, this week's been crazy. I've done very little Bible study this week. God, you called me to empty trash cans this week. I submit to that. You've called me to pick up after people and get this building ready and vacuum and pressure wash the sidewalks. And it's been fun. I like preaching better, but it's just been cool to serve under your authority. Because sometimes, God, in seasons, we seem to do very little of what we like to do. But, God, sometimes the ministry and life and being a husband just calls that to serve Christ, I'm going to have to submit myself to your authority. And then, Father, I, I submit to spread the gospel under your authority. I, I don't know what that's going to look like in this in this new world of COVID-19, hatred of people, riots, police brutality, and all kinds of things that are going on. It's, it's, it's confusing. I don't know that I can make sense of it all. I just want to be on your team. I want to be on your side. I just want to serve people serve people. I want to serve hot springs. I want to serve every community, the poor, the rich. I want to serve the first responders. I want to serve the blacks, the whites, the Latinos, the Asians. I want to serve in my hood. I want to serve right here, God. I want to do what you call me to do. I want to spread the gospel in hot springs, Arkansas. respond to this sermon series by submitting myself to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, as we respond to this message now individually, I ask you, God, to do what you're going to do as we close this service in this response time. God, some may want to come and kneel and pray. Others may want to come and, and just worship. God, we may stand, we may sit, 
It's going to look different for everybody. But God, I pray that we would allow the next three minutes to be a time of confessing our sins and of searching our hearts to follow you, to follow you and your authority in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.